Father, we thank you so much for this awesome, amazing day. Father, we thank you for your word that is living, it's active, it's true. And Lord, just reading this passage, thank you for reminding us in your word, also in song, that you, Jesus, are worthy of all praise and glory and honor and power and blessing and majesty and dominion. For yours is the kingdom and yours is the glory and yours is the power. Holy Spirit, be our teacher. Father, pour your great love into our hearts today. Give me your words that I would say only what you want. Father, I'll confess to you, this passage is overwhelming to even preach. So give me your words. Give us eyes and ears and a heart to see your truth, to hear your voice, to receive it. And Jesus, overwhelm us with your sacrifice. Overwhelm us, Father, with your goodness, your faithfulness. Convict us, encourage us. May you, Father, be glorified in everything that we say and do. And we ask these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen and amen. You all may be seated. Well, for those who are here for the first time, my name is Doug Jones. I am the campus and teaching pastor. And welcome to the church at Woodbine, uh, Victoria worship team. Thank you guys so very much for leading us in worship. If you were here at the very beginning of this service, Brett opened in a prayer. And it was in Turkish. Thank you so much. If you missed it, we start at 1045. So we'd love to have you here at 1045. But if you're late, that's okay. The last shall be first, as Jesus always said, right? So anyway, thank you. We will see it again today. But I love the fact that there's nations and languages in this little bitty congregation that we can celebrate. Every flag here represents where someone is from where our missionaries are. That's why we have these flags up. And I'll confess, we're probably, what, Wes, 80% accurate? Because it changes from time to time. We're almost 100% accurate. And if we're not, Brett's son, Michael, will let us know. But this is just a taste, a glimpse of what we will do in all eternity in heaven. And we'll read it here again in just a minute. Revelation chapter 5. And we're going through this sermon series, Preaching in Heartbreak City. And one of the questions we have been asking a lot is, what is breaking your heart? Last week, Truett Ross, and I'm glad I didn't preach last week, and I'll explain in a minute why. The Holy Spirit spoke powerfully through Truett. And he shared with us one of the things that was breaking Jesus' heart When he entered into Jerusalem, when thousands of people were worshiping and praising his name, seeing Hosanna in the highest. And it says, Jesus saw Jerusalem and he wept. Why? I'm glad I didn't preach last week because I got a fun story. Before we dive into Revelation chapter 5, and if you have your Bibles, you can open Revelation chapter 5. It's after the book of Genesis. There's 64 other books before that, but it's at the very end of your Bible, before the concordance. Revelation chapter 5. Revelation is the last book written in the entire Bible. It was written by the Apostle John when he was an old man. He had been exiled for his faith. He was punished, exiled onto the island of Patmos. And he received all of these visions of the risen Lord Jesus, who was his best friend when Jesus was here on earth. John was the closest of all the disciples with Jesus. And he had these visions of the risen Lord Jesus while on the island. And he wrote the book of Revelation, not Revelations, Revelation, 
to seven churches in modern day Turkey to encourage them because they were going through, they were going through persecution, suffering. John himself had suffered tremendously. All of the other apostles had been killed for their faith, but John. And he writes to these churches to encourage them, to tell them to press on, persevere, go, move on. The Lord Jesus will return and he reigns forever. There are seven, I believe, seven major interpretations of the book of Revelation. We're not going to unpack all those seven today, only six. If you do want to know more about the book of Revelation, Brett is teaching a class every Sunday morning at 930 right here on the book of Revelation. There are so many interpretations about this book. I'm not even going to try to pretend to unpack them all today. We're going to look at chapter five and this chapter right here. We could preach all year on this chapter right here. Victoria, where's Victoria? Where'd she go? Wherever she is, thank you for the songs you picked. Amazing. They all come out of this chapter right here. Before we dive into that, why did I not preach last week? Well, weeks ago, I'd asked Truett, hey, uh, I'm going to be out of town, and we were planning on going to New Mexico to visit one of my dear friends who had been kidnapped in Mexico as a pastor. He was rescued, and then they fled to New Mexico. He's pastoring a small church there in, in New Mexico. We are going to go visit. So I asked Truett, hey, could you preach for me? He's like, sure. Awesome. We had a change of plans, and so we didn't go. Friday night, two Fridays ago, Todd Wilburn, one of our deacons, called me up. He's like, Doug. Angela just had a minor medical procedure. She can't go to the UT Alabama game. Do you want to go? I was like, yes. And if you know me, I'm a huge UT fan. I love UT. My favorite color is orange. And I know some of you guys really don't care a whole lot about football. That's okay. But I'll tell you this. College football is over a $4 billion industry every year. UT made $70 million in revenue after all their expenses in 2020. And they still were stinky for 15 years. I've been to the stadium. It holds almost 100,000 people there. It's, the building is huge. And it's extremely tall. And when you're sitting up on the upper deck, you feel, you feel like you're going to fall off. Got there with Todd. I was so excited. I was wearing all of my orange If you know what happened in the game, there was a last-second field goal. And this is after the game. Leave it right there, Chris. Don't change it. The guy that's in the back holding on to Todd's shoulder, we don't even know who he is. He and his buddies actually came from Indianapolis. They're not even UT fans. They just decided back in the spring, we're going to buy tickets for this game. And they showed up in orange. Todd and I were sitting on each other's laps because they really pack him in worse than sardines. I was getting kneed in the back. The lady's like, sorry, sorry. You know, it's like, no, that actually gives me some back, back support. I was bleeding into the seat of the lady beside me. And I mean, every touch, there's high fives and hugs. I mean, this is crazy. This is, I'm confessing one of my sins of idolatry. Right, Stevie? I mean, seriously, it has been a thorn in my side for way too long. Here in the United States, and it's across the world, whatever sport or movie or music We were created to worship. We are created to worship. I read this morning in Psalm 115, woe to those who make idols. They become like them. 
eyes but can't see, ears and can't hear, hands and can't touch, feet and can't walk. We truly become what we worship. A dear friend of mine told me the other day that their four-year-old, when they were in the airport, he came running over to him and was like, Dad, Dad, what's wrong with everybody? Why is everybody looking at their phone? And they looked around there in the terminal, and everyone was on their phone, and their four-year-old was freaking out. What's wrong with everybody? We're addicted to so many idols. And you can go back, Tennessee, they kicked Dexter, they kicked Dexter with the field goal. We won. We went crazy. I got the video of it if you want to watch. It's a lot of fun. I took a gazillion pictures. Ethan, you need to see this. It's amazing. And then we stood there and cheered and laughed and had fun. And Todd's like, what do you want to do? I was like, well, let's stand up here and watch everybody on the field because if not, we'll be sitting in our car for two hours, which it took forever to leave. The next picture was after everybody stormed the field. 100,000 people. And I share this because we're getting ready to go into the real stadium where there's 10,000 times 10,000 times 10,000, not just of men and women from every tribe, tongue, people, group, and nation, but with angels and archangels and elders and the four living creatures standing around the throne. A dear friend of mine said, I asked him on Monday, how you doing? And, and he said, man, I've been watching the game for two straight days. Consumed with football. It's a $4 billion industry. So it's a really important to a lot of people, but is it eternal? Right here, Revelation chapter 5. John, if just for context's sake, John, if you want to go back and read chapter 4, John in one of his visions, he sees the risen Lord Jesus. And he's shining brighter than the sun. And he's got, you know, a sword coming out of his mouth. And his eyes are brighter than the sun, like flaming fire. And he sees the throne room. It's an amazing throne room experience in chapter 4, where John is overwhelmed in this vision, where he sees thousands upon thousands of angels. And in chapter 4, John describes the throne and seeing the Father on the throne and seeing the Lamb and all these angels worshiping. And they're worshiping back and forth. The most amazing worship experience that you ever have. And we'll be there. We will be there, those of us who know and love Jesus. From every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And after John sees this here in chapter 5, he says this in verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. I also saw a mighty angel. Not just an angel, but a mighty angel. I wonder what that is. Okay, most angels when they show up, as we read in scripture, people freak out and tremble like dead men, dead women, just for an angel. Now, this is a mighty angel. There's a mighty angel that all of a sudden, not just appears, but is there. And he proclaims, he doesn't just say, he doesn't just whisper. He proclaims with a loud voice. Say loud. Oh, you guys aren't loud, but a loud voice. Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? We'll stop right there. John is in this, he's in heaven. And he sees God seated on the throne and he's overwhelmed. Think of every powerful, good, deep emotion that overwhelms your entire being. Heart, mind, body, soul. Not of fear, but it's just just overwhelming joy and goodness. And John is in the midst of it. 
And he sees the father seated on the throne with a scroll in his right hand. There's so much symbolism. Right hand signifies power and authority. The one sitting on the throne. And there's this scroll with seven seals. Not just one, but seven. And seven is the word, the number for perfection in scripture. And it's got writing on both front and back. And you read chapter 6 and 7 and 8. If you want to know all the interpretations, come to Brett's class on Sunday morning. He'll unpack it for you. Sorry, I'm really putting you on the spot, but he's got it. He unpacks it, but there's so much symbolism. And then this mighty angel, not just a little bitty angel, and it's not one of those cupid angels with tiny little cute little wings wearing a diaper. These are a mighty, powerful angel who proclaims in a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll? Who is worthy? And then it says right here in chapter three, but no one, no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even look into it. No one. No one is worthy. Not the 24 elders, not the four living creatures, not even these perfect Angels, no one is worthy. No one is good enough, pure enough, just enough, powerful enough. No one is worthy. How does John respond? I wept and wept. Because no one was found worthy. I wonder, how long did he weep? 30 seconds? A minute? An hour? He had to weep long enough where it's repeated, I wept and wept. Have you ever been disappointed? Disillusioned? rejected, not allowed to enter or be part of a group or a team? Have you ever lost money? A silly example, has an egg ever fallen off the counter? You break an egg, if it rolls off the counter, you're never going to put it back together again. Humpty Dumpty did fall off the wall and all the king's horses and all the king's men could not put him back. John wept and wept because no one was found good enough, pure enough, holy enough, or worthy enough. And it makes me wonder if there's this amazing word. I've I've spent so much time on this passage this week trying to figure out how to unpack it because there's so much here. And I can imagine John is in this amazing worship experience where there's tens of thousands, countless of angels, not just humans, but angels worshiping God. And then one of these mighty angels, I mean, one of the big ones with authority kind of interrupts and shouts, who is worthy? And I can imagine it just goes deathly silent. Almost an awkward silence. I mean, to me, it, something had to have happened to cause incredible grief in John because he begins to weep 
because no one is worthy. You want to know a stadium of 100,000 people getting real quiet? Right before that field goal was kicked. Utter silence, then weeping. Because no one's worthy. What happens? I love this, and I can see this happening where John is overwhelmed. Now, it's a vision, but he's overwhelmed with grief. There's no one can take the scroll, open the scroll, look into the scroll. And then he says in verse 5, Then one of the elders said to me, Don't weep. Okay, there were 24 elders representing the 12 tribes of Israel, Old Covenant, the 12 apostles, New Covenant. We don't know who those elders are. Are they the 12 apostles? I mean, it doesn't say. It just says there's 24 elders. So one of those elders who's right there in the center with the throne, closest to the Father, whoever this elder is, there's unbelievable power and goodness and holiness and righteousness. He's one of the main leaders, this elder. And he comes up, and I can imagine John is on the floor weeping. I can imagine being like, hey, hey, don't weep. Don't weep. And what does he say? He says, look. And then this is Old Testament messianic Messiah symbolism. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he's able to open the scroll and its seven seals. The lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David. That will point us back to Genesis 49. Also Isaiah, where it's Messiah, the Messiah. And John, who knows all of the Old Testament, he was with Jesus and he's been an apostle for 60, 70 years now. He knows exactly who this elder is talking about. It's the Messiah, it's the risen Lord. And then he says this in verse six, then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which were the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. Huge. We could go forever with this part of the passage. Seven eyes. That means he's omniscient. He knows all things. There's a lot of symbolism here. The seven horns. That's all powerful, omnipotent. So here this lamb who looked like he was slaughtered. Wait, I thought it was a lion who had conquered. Which one is it? Yes. Jesus is both the lamb and the lion. Jesus is all powerful, and yet he's all full of meekness and humility. And he allowed himself to be slaughtered. It is a both and. That is the majestic majesty and wonderful amazingness of who Jesus is. I don't have words to describe him. And I wish I could. Aún en español no puedo. Even in Spanish I can't. Jesus is amazing. And here John is like, whoa, it's the lion of the tribe of Judah. It's the root of David. It's the conquering lion who's also been slaughtered like a lamb. And he's standing right there in the midst of the throne. And it says here, and it says it twice, he took the scroll. Not in an angry way, but here you've got the father. And we worship the Trinity. It's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons, one God. It's confusing. And we get to heaven, we'll be like, ah, wow, okay, I get it. Wow. He takes it from the Father. 
If you read Daniel, you know, the father gives it to him. So which one is it? The authority and power and majesty and glory and wonder of Jesus is amazing. He takes that scroll. And in verse eight, when he took the scroll and the four living creatures, when he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, they fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Night and day worship. Thanks, Victoria, for those songs. Our prayers, our worship is like incense. When you see in the Old Testament, the incense rising up, it's all symbolic. Incense rises, our prayers rise to the Lord. And these magnificent worship leaders around the throne, these four living creatures, these 24 elders, I mean, these are worship leaders. I mean, I can imagine they watch us worship, and I bet the angel's like, oh, man, come here, look at these. Oh, isn't that cute? Look at these people worshiping down here. It's kind of like us when we watch a three-year-old singing in Target about how great and awesome God is. I'm saying that on purpose because Dustin and Carolyn sent me a little video of Levy singing in Target in front of the mirror how great and awesome God is. It's awesome. But we're like, oh, that's so cute. We have no idea what worship is going to be like. I mean, we get a little glimpse of it, but it's going to be overwhelmingly amazing when we get to heaven. They fall, They begin to sing a new song. You're worthy to take the scroll to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you made them a kingdom and a priest to our God, and they will reign on the earth. Psalm 150, verse 2, and it won't be on the screen, but Psalm 50, verse 2 says, Praise the Lord for his greatness. Praise him for his wonderful acts. We worship God for who he is and what he's done. We come and get worship as an act of service. It's our work. We praise him, not for an experience, even though we will have an experience. We praise God because he's worthy. We don't praise him to get something out of it. We praise him and we give him all that we are. And praise, a lot of it is singing, but it's also a lifestyle. It's actions. We live out everything that we are, everything that we do can be and should be worship. As a housewife, as a husband, as a son, as a daughter, as a teacher, as a doctor, as a salesperson, as a police officer, everything we do can be an act of worship. A huge part of that worship is singing. It is worship. This team up here that leads us worshiping, thank you. We worship God with all that we are. And right here, these worship leaders, they are proclaiming and praising Jesus for who he is and what he's done. They're reminding all of heaven and earth, Jesus purchased a people from every tribe, tongue, language, people group by his own precious blood. The apostle Paul says that your body is not your own because you've been bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus. We should declare it, proclaim it, sing it, celebrate it, sing it, tell others about it, sing it, write about it, make videos about it, 
because it's the greatest love story, rescue story of all time. John then goes on to say in verse 11, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne and also of the living creatures and the elders. Their number was countless. How much was it? How many? Countless. He tries to go on saying thousands times ten thousands and thousands and ten thousands. And they say with a loud voice. Worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered. Again, they repeat it. Jesus, you died for us. To receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth, on the sea and everything in them say blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one. To who? The one. Seated on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. It's all about him. It is all about him who he is, and what he's done. I love this part here, verse 14. It's almost like an addition. The four living creatures said, Amen! And the elders fell down. They fell down, and they worshiped. Bless you. For those online, someone sneezed. Sorry, it's my Mexican that comes out. What does this passage mean for us? One of my questions that I'll ask you today is, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? There's so many things that we could pull out of this passage. There's three things I want to highlight. The first one is this. Jesus is worthy of all of our worship. He is worthy of all of it. It's not just one hour on Sunday morning. It's everything that you do, everything that you are. It is your time, your money, your talents, your treasures, your friendships. Everything is for his glory. It's for him. Everything that you do is holy. It's not... I do God's work in church, and then I have to go do secular work. No, no, no. God makes everything that you do holy because he's made you holy. Because of his presence in and through you, everything we touch becomes holy, set apart for his glory. Jesus is worthy of all of our worship. So a question we can ask is, Are you dedicating, am I dedicating your time for his glory, your money for his glory? The world shows how important college football is. It's a $4 billion industry. That's real important for a lot of people. That's a big bucks. It reveals their idols, my idol. How we use our time, how we use our money and our resources reveals what's most important in our lives. The second question is, the second point is this, Jesus has purchased us with his blood for a purpose. Several times in these worship songs here, they declare you were slaughtered, you were killed, your precious blood. Jesus came as a human, as you, just like you and me, but he was perfect. 
And he allowed his blood to be shed on the cross so that we could be forgiven. See, the reality is this. Every human is a wretched, horrible sinner. There is no one good. None. No one is good. The Bible is very clear. No one seeks after God. No one understands. We are all sinners. The Bible also says that God loves us so much that he gave his one and only son. He took our sin upon the cross. He died on the cross so that we could be forgiven. God did not give us the Ten Commandments and all of his commandments so that we would be saved. He sent his son Jesus to take our just punishment. And he suffered so that we could not only be forgiven, but then be adopted as his sons and daughters. And as it says here, to become a kingdom of priests. A priest is someone in the Old Testament times who stood in between the gap between God and God's people to pray to God on behalf of the people, but also to speak to the people on behalf of God. Every single one of us who loves and believes in Jesus, we are his priests. And it's not just for men, it's for men and women, young and old. And we can boldly proclaim who God is and what his will is to this lost and dying world because he's revealed his will and his way through his word. And he's given us his Holy Spirit. The apostle Paul calls us ambassadors. We are all ambassadors of Jesus. An ambassador is a sent one with the authority of the one sending. So everyone who believes in Jesus is an ambassador for Christ. And it is our responsibility to pray for this lost world, to love this lost world, to serve this lost world. And as we proclaim the truth with boldness, we do it with great humility, not to prove that this world is wrong, but to show the light and love of Jesus in a very humble way. We do it with boldness and humility. All of us are priests. We do celebrate the 10 global worker families. We celebrate their sacrifice because it's huge. It is different as they go. But they are no more holy and no more righteous than those of us who stay. It's just a different assignment. God has you planted right here in Middle Tennessee for a purpose to be his ambassador with everyone who knows you and who is around you. In the home, your neighborhood, your workplace, running your errands. The last thing is this. God, we are part of a multicultural, ethnic, diverse family from every tribe, tongue, people group, and nation. I love it that he's giving us a glimpse of that here. There's a lot of us who are Caucasian here. But I praise the Lord Jesus that he's given us people, dear brothers and sisters from other countries and nations who worship with us. Thank you. One of our goals as a church, being part of the Brentwood Baptist family, is racial unity. We want to celebrate the diversity that God has given us and create a family 
where we celebrate what we already see here in the book of Revelation, a people group from every tribe, language, nation, surrounding the throne, worshiping him. It's one of the reasons why in our worship services we sing in Spanish. We open and read scriptures in Chinese or Turkish or Swahili or French or Arabic. Because God is creating a family of every, as we say in Spanish, color y sabor, of every color and flavor and language and nation. Oh, glory. Let us stand. Worship team, I want to invite you to come forward. And as we close, I've got a couple questions. I asked one of these at the very beginning, what is breaking your heart? What is breaking your heart and how is God speaking to you about that today? The second question is this, after looking at this passage and the songs we've sung today, what does Jesus mean to you? What does Jesus mean to you? And then the third question is, how is Holy Spirit speaking to you today through this passage? How is Holy Spirit speaking to you today through this passage? I praise Jesus. He's the great shepherd. He knows how to minister to us. Each and every one of us, he knows exactly how we're doing today, the burdens we carry, the thoughts that are going through our mind. Rather, we feel close to God or far away. He loves us. He pursues us with his love. If you want or need prayer, I'll be down here down front. If you have questions about who we are, about what I preached on today, Johnny will be over here at Next Steps. You can talk with him as well. But may we continue to worship Jesus because he is worthy.